Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. This is uh, episode number 376, I believe. And, and what I wanted to do today, this is utilizing uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses to understand Mormonism. And I've been thinking about this for a few days. I, I came across a video a couple of days ago, and I'm really hoping, folks, if, if there's any sound issues at all, if, if folks will let me know that. Uh, so that I can I can correct it if that's the case. Um, but uh, what I wanted to do is talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses and show just a ton of things about how they do their religion. And what I think happens when you're a believing or non-believing, for that matter, post-Mormon, when you start to see how other high-demand fundamentalist religions in the modern age operate, you can begin to see kind of the forest from the trees. And so I thought this would be a lot of fun. Uh, and I'll start with the video. We'll watch the video. It's five minutes long. Um, I reached out to the owners of the of this YouTube channel and asked it per, for permission to use their video, and they gave it to me. Uh, we'll stop it at various points along the way to talk about it. But I think what you're going to be amazed by is how similar the Jehovah's Witnesses are to Mormonism in a thousand different ways. But often as a believer, you have this way of like going like, oh, no, no, they're they're that and they're weird and they're over there and they're doing crazy stuff. And my religion's normal and is God's true kingdom on earth. But when you parse out like there are specific terminology and there are unique beliefs, but when you look at how those beliefs fit into their system generally, and when you look at the language that um, their vernacular being unique and our vernacular inside Mormonism is also unique, but when you, when you parse it down to like, what are both sides really saying? It is often the very, very same thing. And so again, today, folks, for those joining us, we're going to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses and um, in a way that I think you're going to see so many connections. And if you're a believer, let me say what my point is and what, what the goal is of this episode. Uh, for the believer who watches this, you happen to be on YouTube, you happen to come across this video, you, you are so emotionally connected to your religion of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of Mormonism, and you see yourself as being part of God's kingdom, and you realize like the, the world went into apostasy, the gospel was restored, I'm lucky that I was born into or somehow converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I know that my church is true, and I know that all the other religions out there are not. I know that we have prophets, seers, and revelators. I know that we have uh, priesthood authority. Um, I know that we have uh, God's one true kingdom on earth, and uh, everyone else has something less than. And you realize, like, in your head as a Mormon, you know, like, my testimony is unique. Like, how I believe that my church is true, um, I know that I have the right answers, and everyone else on the planet is somehow distracted or deceived uh, by the um, philosophies of men, right, mingled with Scripture. And the reality is, when you start to sense, my hope is that you'll sit with this episode enough that you'll sense just how similar the Jehovah's Witnesses are to you, and then start to recognize like the folks in that system believe just as adamantly, just as seriously as you do. 
And so without further ado, let's uh, let's put up on the screen this um, this video and uh, and we can watch it. We'll pause it at various points and talk about it. And then I've got a slideshow, we'll run through a few things. I'm hoping that, in fact, I've got to, I've got to be done by 1030. Um, so we're about an hour and 10 minutes, we'll do this. And so hopefully if folks are listening, uh, I see there's 18 people there. When this comes on, if you'll please immediately let me know if the sound is working or not on your end. I was actually going to record this not live and then publish it, but I was afraid I would have some type of IT issue that I didn't know about. And so having you folks watch live is a big help to this. So here we go. Jehovah's Oh, and I should even start off right from the start, by the way, before we even play anything. Um, by the way, the uh, I think the guy's name is Lloyd uh, Evans, maybe. Um, I'll share the link in the resource notes as well as in the comments here at some point once we get out of the video. Um, but notice right off the back, by the way, the proselyting missionary effort of Jehovah's Witnesses. These two ladies are uh, proselyting for the Jehovah's Witnesses faith. Now, they do their missionary work different. It's the local members of the congregation who um, are pressured into going out and spending so many hours a week knocking on doors and delivering the Jehovah Witnesses religious message. They do it volunteer, by the way, at their own cost to uh, to an extent. But these two women are carrying their uh, materials and tracting materials and pamphlets and books and things. And then they just go somewhere. They'll stand on a street corner somewhere and essentially publicize like, hey, we've got all this uh, Christian information. We'd love to offer it to you. You know, would you be interested in listening to a gospel message, essentially? And so right off the bat, you can see that Jehovah Witnesses do a form of missionary work that uh, while the specifics of it may be different, it, it involves the same sort of um, loyalty and um, impetus on the member and the pressure that the institution places on its members to do it. And so right off the bat, we've got this connection. Witnesses are a group claiming the Bible as the basis Hopefully you guys for their hear it, teachings. Let me know if you do. Their origins can be traced to 1879 when their founder, Charles Taze Russell, began publishing The Watchtower magazine. Russell predicted that Armageddon would come by 1914 at the latest and expressed this conviction in his book, The Time is at Hand, published in 1889. The Battle of the Great Day of God Almighty, which will end in AD 1914 with the complete overthrow of Earth's present rulership, is already commenced. Despite the... So I'll just jump in here right away. Um, one is that there were predictions made about when Christ would return. Mormonism also has that. If you're a believing member, there are quotes out there where Joseph Smith said that uh, that Jesus shall come. That come and you know, you know it, uh, again, I don't have the quote in front of me. I prepared this uh, slideshow just within the last 45 minutes this morning. Um, but I would you can feel free to Google it. Joseph Smith. Uh, there are quotes out there that are from him where he is. Uh, talking about how uh, Christ will come uh, in the near future. It, there's also something else that happens. We'll get into this as we move along. But Jehovah Witnesses, um, their their first leader, uh, Russell, he uh, predicted like 1874 that Christ would come back, and then that didn't happen. So they had it like, well, he came back, but he's it's he's not visibly present. But by um, 1914, it'll certainly happen. And, and then that didn't happen, and they moved the date to like 1925, and then eventually they moved it to 1975, and there's there's these false prophecies that occur. And, and Mormonism has those too, by the way. If you go and 
and do a search in Mormonism for the false prophecies, you'll recognize that Mormonism has those as well. Now, here's what happens, though. In both Mormonism and in the Jehovah's Witnesses, the believers that are inside have to deal with that, and they have to reconcile it. And so each religion has its apologist, has its uh, explanations, has its reconciliations, and it has a way in which it uh, preps its believers to um, see the issue differently than the critics in a way that they can dismiss the problem or make excuses for it or offer some workaround by which you can solve the problem. Um, and in the Jehovah Witnesses instance, uh, all they did was, you know, Jesus is supposed to come back. And when it didn't happen in 1914, they used World War One to note like, oh, look, World War One. So something significant happened. And now we are um, we are in the age where Christ has come back, but he's not visible to the general public. And he just works in the background of our religion. So they they have their ways in which they can put things back together. There was this serious issue known as the backfire effect uh, in the Jehovah's Witness that, Witnesses that when Christ didn't come back in 1914, some people left, certainly, but the majority of them actually believed more intensely. And this is a psychological phenomenon that's found predominantly within religious groups when there's some huge disappointment the members tend to believe more passionately when things seem to uh, not happen the way the leadership of that faith says. And, and we have plenty of that in Mormonism too, and we'll get probably to a few examples as we move along, but I, don't, I just don't want to take up a ton of time here. So here we go. Failure of Russell's prediction, the movement he spawned has continued to grow. After, After all, 1914 happened to coincide with the outbreak of World War I so successive leaders were able to pin their theology on 1914 as a date of significance. In the century since Russell's death in 1916, more predictions for the end of the world as we know it have been offered, with the dates 1925 and 1975 most notable for their failure to yield the promised apocalypse. When I was growing up as a witness in the 80s, the teaching was that Armageddon would come before the generation of people who witnessed the events of 1914 died off. So the Jehovah Witnesses have this interesting uh, thing that when Christ doesn't come back in 1914, the next thing they do, they add another layer, right? There's another piece of a conjecture and allowances. So what they do is they go, well, yeah, like we, th yeah, he didn't come back, but kind of. And so their new level or layer of theology was that everyone who was alive uh, at that 1914 um, prediction, that that generation would not completely pass away until Christ had come. Also notice this last days type of uh, ideas that um, in the Jehovah Witnesses, they also believe these are the last days, that Christ either is going to come any moment or he already has and that this generation shall not pass away. Um, you get some of that too, right? Like you're the elect, you're the, you're the, um, uh, the most spiritual children. These are the, the most elect of God's spirit children reserved for the last days. Um, this type of crossover between Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a different uh, terminology for it. They have a different vernacular for it. 
but they are teaching the exact same thing, which is you are the special ones. God is preparing the earth. Um, he is getting ready to come back. Um, and so just notice that kind of that last days theology that is uh, predominant here. That teaching has since been scrapped and the current teaching is rather complicated and frankly makes very little sense. <laughs> notice in Mormonism how many things that we that the church leaders and uh, uh, stated about how Mormon uh, history happened, how Mormon theology works. And then when things don't quite work out and when science adds new data, for instance, once the book of Abraham translation is not what the church claims, notice it has to add conjecture in layers that now make it much more complex, much more uh, sophisticated, right? Because um, the only way to now explain it is to add extra mental gymnastics, to add extra allowances, to add extra conjecture. And so here you go, 1893, 1914, this generation shall not pass away. Uh, so sometime during that, there were more folks, those folks got anointed. Now those folks carry on past the new date. And it just becomes so convoluted that you and I sit back as Mormons and we go, man, that, that's some crazy stuff. But we don't have the ability within our own religion to see the same type of stuff uh, that happens when we try to explain the catalyst theory, or we try to explain how Joseph Smith's folk magic actually prepared him rather than uh, demonstrated that he's a scam artist. It actually prepared him to be able to deal with real guardian spirits, with real gold buried in real mounds. Um, and we just have this way of convoluting our own religion, um, but but we don't see it inside our own tribe. We're we're raised, we're inoculated, we're programmed, we're brainwashed. And I don't mean those things in the sci-fi weirdo way. I mean, like when your kid goes to primary and he sings, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, he is being programmed to perceive his tribe and his authorities within his tribe a certain way. And that shades our thinking for the rest of our life. Um, so anyway, just, just to note that they're doing, um, to their theology, the same thing we do. We just don't have the, the ability to see it the same way within our own tribe. But suffice to say, Jehovah's Witnesses believe the end will come imminently. The they also days. believe that when Armageddon strikes, every man, woman, and child who is not a Jehovah's Witness will be worthy of death. To stress this point, Governing Body member Anthony Morris recently told witnesses in Trinidad that they are blood guilty and deserving of annihilation if they don't sufficiently share in the life-saving preaching work. If your hands are not clean because you've been out warning, then they have blood on them and you're going to lose your life. Their leaders say shitty things too. And... And their leaders are using their words to manipulate their followers into being loyal to the leaders within that tribe, right? You have your outer authorities as a believing Mormon, and it's the top 15 men. And it doesn't matter how wrong those top 15 men are on subjects like race or gender 
or homosexuality or on protecting children in interviews. It doesn't matter because you're loyal to them. And so regardless of whether your top 15 actually demonstrate that they are, in fact, prophets, seers, and revelators, you place trust in them that they are. The Jehovah Witnesses, the members of that faith, do the same thing to their guy. They trust him, and he uses his words to manipulate the membership into loyalty and obedience, into being scared of, um, of having questions and doubts, of being scared of listening to their friend who left the faith and, and discovered problems. And I just want you to notice that. Um, so anyway, we'll move on from here. Death threats, fear-mongering, and failed predictions aside, the most disturbing elements of the Jehovah's Witness religion involve the organization's abusive policies and disregard for human rights. According to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, everyone has the right to leave their religion if they so choose. But when you are baptized as a Jehovah... Notice, I'm going to go back here. The Jehovah's Witnesses have an article of faith. All right. Article 17, Article 18, Article 19, right? Article 19. Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This include this right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive, and impart information ideas through any media, regardless of frontiers. But when the rubber meets the road, they sure as hell are not letting their critical thinking members uh, have safe spaces to influence the flock. Notice the uh, Article 18, this uh, right includes freedom to change his religion or belief. But again, the moment you start to raise questions in the Jehovah Witness faith, they, faith, they shun you. you. You get to be, you are distanced from the uh, members of that faith. Um, and so notice in Mormonism that uh, questions are honored, but opposition is not. Notice that uh, it is wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. And you also get the double double speak, where in other places, Latter-day Saint leaders act as though they want you to be a truth seeker. They want you to find the truth no matter what. They want you to adopt all truth no matter where it is. Um, double speak is a gigantic mechanism within high-demand fundamentalist religions and I simply want you to notice that the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints play the same game. But when you are baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, you pledge yourself to the organization for life. If you ever decide... Hmm. Give your time, talents, everything to the building up of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, baptism, too. That was... Uh, Pretty a pretty Mormon-looking baptism outside of the outfits, huh? I wish, I wish I got to wear the uh, the white Hanes T-shirt and the in the black shorts. But uh, I think actually the jumpsuit's probably better. I, th I think I like that one better than what they were wearing. To leave, your close friends and family are ordered to shun you and treat you as though you don't exist. Think about that. Like the moment you start to raise questions or look signal to everyone in the congregation that you no longer belong as a believing Mormon, notice that their religion is taught to shun you. Now, in Mormonism, if you're a believer and you're, and you're listening to this, 
Notice that when a believing Mormon no longer fits in the box, he starts to have questions and doubts. He starts to raise his hand with criticism. Notice we also have our internal mechanisms that will distance that person from the rest of us. We do not allow safe spaces for criticism of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or its leaders. Um, every, uh, every congregation in Mormonism, every ward and stake has its mechanisms in order to squash or silence uh, folks who speak out. With the, the end of this thing being, uh, one, telling members to disassociate from their close relationships with folks who do that, <clears throat> and also with the disciplinary measures such as excommunication and disfellowship, even though they've renamed them, it's the same tool. The religion also has a growing reputation for covering up child abuse on an astonishing scale. Huh, does that sound familiar? Folks, if you're listening, Google Sam Young and look at what he was trying to do. And again, for every believer who's listening, take a moment and try to understand it from an outsider perspective. In Mormonism, you have a lay leader. He's just the electrician or the accountant um, or, the, or the plumber or the carpet salesman in my case. And he has no formal training. He's just a human being. And then we say like, hey, God told us you're the guy, so you get to be the leader of this congregation. And then we have this lay leader who has no formal training, who we, we teach him that he is, he receives the voice of God. He's the one who's responsible for receiving the mind and will of God. And he's just the electrician or the accountant. And now he brings children into his office on a one-on-one -on -one basis to have conversations around issues such as sexuality. And notice that folks like Sam Young were saying like, hey, this is really unhealthy. This is a really safe space for abuse. This is a really safe space for people to tamper with healthy boundaries and to corrupt those boundaries, making them very unhealthy. And he said, what we should do is have two people in the room. And, and the church doesn't want to admit that Sam Young is right. They only take this baby step that says if the child or the parents request there to be a second person in the room. But between you and me, like if, if you're listening, don't you grasp that the healthiest thing to do, knowing the prevalence of child abuse that goes on, isn't it, wouldn't, doesn't it seem just healthy and responsible to never allow a child into a closed room with a stranger without there being two adults at a minimum present. It seems like a no-brainer to me. And notice that your religion can't exactly get there. And notice, by the way, the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing the same thing. Their authority and need to be seen as being right, it, 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 it uh, clouds their judgment and ability to admit they were doing something wrong and to just straighten up and get it right. In 2015, when a royal commission in Australia ordered the local branch to turn over its records, it found that 1,006 JW child molesters in that country alone had had their crimes carefully documented since 1950, with not a single one being reported to authorities. 
notice in Mormonism that leaders of the church at the local level are instructed to call. By the way, folks, if you would like the video, if you'll hit the like sign and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Very important. Uh, also, any comments you're willing to make, both uh, now if you're watching live, uh, also um, it, it, after the show is over, it'll just be not live, but still visible, obviously. And then the comments will be down below. If you're watching it that way, please put comments in. That helps the algorithm so that this gets more coverage. That would be very much appreciated. Notice that the leaders at the local level of the LDS church are instructed to call the church's legal team, Curtin and McConkie. It's called the child abuse hotline, but really what it is, is it's calling Curtin and McConkie so that they can give sound legal advice to cover the church's ass when abuse happens. Abuse in the LDS church is extremely well-documented. It's also well-documented in the Jehovah Witnesses. Um, they're structure and organization is such that it helps protect abusers and does not hold them accountable. Notice in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the helpline is really there to protect the church, and it doesn't protect abusers. They also have lots of issues with child abuse going on within their religion. Um, again, these two faiths aren't that different. Once you get out of the vernacular and these specific little things that make them different, the mechanisms going on are exactly the same. Multiple lawsuits in other countries indicate that something called the two-witness rule, combined with the witness culture of secrecy, trusting congregation elders, and onus on forgiveness of sin, have... Two-witness rule, by the way, Mormonism has that within the disciplinary councils as well. A secrecy culture, yeah? We have uh, men at the top at every level, and we are to give deference to them. They speak for the Lord, and um, there is so much about confidence being kept, even when there are unhealthy behaviors going on. Learned dependency on elders, so learned dependency on prophet seers and revelators, on stake presidents, on bishops. And then this forgiveness, right? Like it's not your business. The bishop is handling it. Person should have a right to be forgiven. And it creates such an unhealthy uh, set of boundaries and it creates a safe space for abusive behavior. And notice that that is very similar in both systems. We've created an environment in which children are at risk from predators who can operate almost with impunity. Hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses are also known for teaching that the Bible prohibits blood transfusions. The Bible is actually silent about the medical use of blood because people only started transfusing it in the 19th century. But that hasn't stopped witness leaders from teaching their followers since 1945 that death is preferable to receiving a blood transfusion. Witnesses who are hospitalized in a critical condition can even expect to have a team of elders visit them at their bedside to remind them of the need to stay loyal to this teaching. It is, again, the specifics are different. The vernacular is different. As a Mormon, I would look at the Jehovah's Witnesses and I would go, that's weird. Of course that we should uh, be allowed to have a blood transfusion to save a life. But then when my leaders would tell me I can't drink a tea or a coffee or that I need to uh, go to the temple and do this strange ordinance or that I need to 
pay 10% of my money on, on gross towards tithing, I go like, Oh, that that's normal. Like that's no big deal. And, um, notice that both religions have strange beliefs and that they are able to justify their beliefs in such a way that you as a believer in Mormonism or the Jehovah's witness believer in their faith has a way of going like, yeah, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. This is the right thing to do. My Bible tells me so. Jehovah's Witnesses can go into the scriptures and justify their beliefs in the same way that Mormons are taught that they can go into their scriptures and justify the beliefs. And so there really isn't uh, a difference other than, yes, these two religions aren't exactly the same, but, but what makes them strange to the world is the same sorts of mechanisms. All things considered, you may be wondering why anyone would willingly become a Jehovah's Witness. You might even think you'd have to be stupid to get involved with the group. But it really isn't that simple. Many Witnesses are indoctrinated from when they are small children, and those who join as adults often do so because they are emotionally vulnerable and need the sense of community and absolute certainty that Witness beliefs offer. If you substitute the relig the name of the religion with ours, is it really that much different? Those folks believe. They believe because they've been indoctrinated. They believe because they want certainty. They believe because when they came into the church as adults, they were vulnerable. And when they were uh, raised in it as children, it's the only thing they knew. It is the way in which um, they were raised to... Um, make sense of the world around them. And, and so when you're born into something, it's all you know. And the way in which you create your own identity is interwoven with the beliefs of that religion. So in the same way that if you were sitting here right now and I said, hey, you know that those folks are wrong. You know that their religion isn't true. How could you convince them that it isn't true? Like if you sat down with them and said, hey, like your religion's strange, notice this, notice that, notice that they would handle that the exact same way you would if someone came to you and tried to tell you that your religion wasn't true, because it's the same exact mechanisms that are in place, just as certain as you are that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's only true and living church upon the earth of which the Lord is well-pleased. These folks feel the exact same way about the Jehovah's Witness faith. Bottom line, if you happen to know a Jehovah's Witness, please be kind to them and don't assume you can snap them out of their beliefs easily. Witnesses tend to be extremely emotionally invested in what they believe and easing them toward the exit requires an abundance. Mormons are extremely emotionally invested in what they believe of kindness, patience, and understanding. I'm Lloyd Evans, and you've just learned everything you need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses in five minutes. Please so Lloyd Evans. So I appreciate uh, Lloyd giving us permission to use this video. Um, I want to show you something. Here's the Jehovah's Witnesses website. Um, when I saw this, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge right off the bat, by the way, that Mormonism does a better job at IT. Okay, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that. Uh, but the what the website accomplishes and what it looks like are, are hardly any different, right? 
Um, look at this. So you got Jehovah Witnesses, home, Bible teachings, library, newsroom, hmm. a Jehovah's Witness newsroom about us. You've got the main article. You've got other things. Look at this. Help for victims of domestic abuse. Of course they take abuse seriously. Of course they want to stop abuse. But notice that the mechanisms in place in their theology uh, and in how they hand out discipline doesn't uh, allow full accountability to people because there wasn't two witnesses. Like we can't, we can't do anything. We have to have two witnesses. And so their theology still protects the abuser. Is the Bible's guidance relevant today? What can guarantee you a secure future? You can read the Bible online. Of course they want you to read it. By the way, they have their own translation of a Bible, just like we do. Now, um, we don't use it prevalently, um, and we really tell people they really should use the King James Version. By the way, the King James Version is, is seen in the outside community of Mormonism as the weakest of all the Bible translations. See recently added videos, music, articles, and news. Select a topic that interests you. Frequently asked questions, activities for children, faith in God. Uh, are they really that different? Try our Bible course. Request a visit. Attend a meeting. Entrusted with translating the sacred pronouncements of God. Young people talk about money from prison to prosperity. If you were a Jehovah's Witness who was both feet in, your church's website would be just as interesting to you as ours. Um, look at that. We've got our own little things. You can go register for the Roots Tech. You can watch uh, now a new season of Book of Mormon videos. Get a first look inside the Quito, Ecuador temple. Uh-oh, we've got our newsroom. We've got to find a meeting house broadcast and up upcoming church events and a media library. Look, here's our beliefs and general conference and familysearch.org. These are the same sorts of things, more features, right? So both faiths occupy their members with all this clutter and you go, well, yeah, but my church is doing good things. Yes. Yeah, so is theirs. They're doing the same sorts of good and bad things that your faith is doing. Um, so there's that. Um, here, there's a page of Jehovah Witnesses founder. Uh, I want you to listen to, to this and, and see if you see any similarities to Mormonism. Who was the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses? The modern-day organization of Jehovah's Witnesses began at the end of the 19th century. At that time, a small group of Bible students who lived near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States began a systematic analysis of the Bible. They compared the doctrines taught by the churches with what the Bible really teaches. They began publishing what they learned in books. It's almost like you're just about ready to hear inside your head that they found James chapter 1, verse 5. And this has some similarity to the Joseph Smith story, right? Books, newspapers, and the journal that is now called The Watchtower, announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. Among that group... We have the Enzyme. They have the Watchtower. ...of sincere Bible students was a man named Charles Taze Russell. While Russell took the lead in the Bible education work at that time and was the first editor of the Watchtower, he was not the founder of a new religion. The goal of Russell and the other Bible students, as the group was then known, was to promote the teachings of Jesus Christ, 
and to follow the practices of the first century Christian congregation. It's a restoration. Listen to that. The goal of Russell and other Bible students, as the group was then known, was to promote the teachings of Jesus Christ and to follow the practices of the first century Christian congregation. It's a restoration. Since Jesus is the founder of Christianity, we view him as the founder of our religion, just like Mormonism. Since Jesus is the founder of Christianity, we view him as the founder of our organization. Jesus Christ stands at the head of our church, right? Again, different vernacular, same mechanism. Why use the name Jehovah's Witnesses? Why use the full name of the church? Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians? Are Mormons Christians? Who is Jehovah, right? Who are we? Request a visit. And so you get the same sort of thing. All right, I'm going to X that out. We don't need that. I'm going to put the the slideshow up. We'll just talk about this for a moment. Their founder, Charles Taze Russell, uh, Russell, again, he started off as an, I think, an Adventist, if I'm not mistaken. I I want want to make sure I'm right about that. But um, essentially, he starts off just like, hey, I think I know the Bible better than the other folks around me. Uh, He starts this Bible study group. And he starts implementing his teachings. Um, but there were little things like they rejected hell as eternal torment, right? Like they go counter to what the Bible says and create their own theology. And notice that in Mormonism, we also kind of go like, hey, the way Christians understand hell isn't exactly the way it was, uh, the way it is, the way it works. And so we create our own theology about it. And, and by the way, high demand fundamentalist religions, one of the things they do really well is create something extremely unique so that its followers can feel excited about like, hey, we have the truth and here's what makes us different. Um, We talk about the predictions, 1874, 1914. The second leader, when he dies, when Charles Taze Russell dies in uh, 1916, the guy who takes over is Joseph Franklin Rutherford. He's a judge. He changes the name of the faith, by the way, changes the name of the faith. How many times did Mormonism in its early history change its name? Changed it to Jehovah's Witness in 1931 and then created essentially the Watchtower magazine. Um, It actually gets started under Charles Taze Russell, but uh, Rutherford uh, starts mass producing it and creating the organization, the Watchtower. um, And... uh, this is essentially their Enzyme magazine, but it's also their missionary track. So it serves as their Book of Mormon as well. Um, it is how they get their message out to vulnerable people in their community to be able to knock on the door and say, hey, consider us. We have a gospel message and certain people are vulnerable. When I was 17 years old, I certainly um, needed community, wanted some structure in my life, and Mormonism was super attractive. If my if the girl I had met at McDonald's was a Jehovah's Witness instead of a Mormon, um, I might I might have joined these guys and felt just as passionately about them as I did Mormonism. Um, I can't say for sure that I would have seen through this because I didn't see through Mormonism. Um, so anyway, uh, their Watchtower Tower magazine. We talked about the the prediction in 1914. Uh, They've got plenty of unfulfilled prophecies. Mormonism does too as well, by the way. 
their original watchtower. And again, you know, it, it's just, it serves a purpose. And there are things within Mormonism that also serves a purpose. Notice their watchtower. It looks a little bit like an Enzyme magazine, um, their modern watchtower. What are the true marks of Christianity, right? Like our faith is true. And we're constantly trying to uh, manipulate the outside world, the, the potential converts to our faith, to see that we are unique and set apart from the world and have something unique to offer. Um, how can you choose a good religion, right? Mormonism establishes its own litmus test for how you can know that Mormonism is true. And I just want you to understand that that's circular reasoning. There is nowhere out in the world where there is a process given to you by which you can know for sure that Mormonism is true. Mormonism comes along and hands you the process, right? Moroni chapter 10, three through five. How can you choose a good religion? Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. They explain to you how to choose the right religion. And oh my goodness, you're not going to believe this. It's them. A better world is near, right? We're in the last days. This, this world is going to be changed. Uh, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set everything straight. Is the end near? Armageddon, what is it? When will it come? It, they're always preparing their members that, the, that uh, the end is nigh, right? The end is near. And Mormonism does the same thing. I remember, I can't find it now, but there was a talk back when President Nelson was either the president of the 12 or just when he'd become prophet. He had given a talk at a regional meeting and he told the people there that they were in the 11th and a half hour. Um, so it is essentially like, hey, we are at the wrapping up scene here. And when you look at all the materials within Mormonism, you'll see that such is the case. Uh, beware of false prophets, right? Here's Jehovah's Witnesses telling their congregation to beware of false prophets outside of their faith and to beware of those within their faith who are raising a critical voice. Notice that Mormonism does the same thing. They have weird beliefs like this whole not, uh, not taking blood transfusions, but, but Mormons have weird beliefs too, right? Like we do things that are strange too that the world doesn't quite understand. Got their church headquarters. Jehovah Witnesses teach that Satan and his demons were cast down to earth from heaven after October 1st, 1914. Again, actually, you have to, when things don't go the way you had predicted, you start adding extra layers. Notice that Mormon theology also has uh, theological ideas around the third of the host of heaven and the war in heaven and how all that worked out. It Again, same mechanism create unique beliefs, try to explain the things that people are going to be most curious about in terms of uh, Bible theology and offer it in a way that you go like, yeah, those other guys got it wrong. We got it right. We nailed it. Um, heaven after October 1st, 1914, at which point the end times began. Witnesses believe that Satan is the ruler of the current world order, that human society is influenced and misled by Satan and his demons and that they are a cause of human suffering. They believe that human governments are controlled by Satan, but that he does not directly control each human ruler. Um, I just notice that 
in Mormonism, we live in a lost and fallen world, that the third of the host of heaven are here influencing everyone, and that we need to be extremely careful not to be carried away by that. Um, how are Jehovah's Witnesses different? Let me get rid of, uh, we'll put, that's not going to work either. So let's, uh, let's just use this. Uh, scripture, they have no clergy class. We kind of articulate it that way as well, by the way, right? Like we have people who are higher in authority, but we don't have any trained clergy. It's a lay clergy. Their elders, teachers, and missionaries are unsalaried. Why? Because at the end of the day, that means more money for the institution. Um, notice they do that too. They also have an unpaid lay ministry. They neither tithe nor take up money collections at their places of worship known as kingdom halls. Uh, we certainly do. Um, so there is a difference there, but believe me, their members are donating money and there is absolutely money being made uh, by their church headquarters. All of their activities are supported by anonymous donations. Our donations are anonymous too. Uh, except that great records are kept, right? They remain neutral with regard to politics. Notice we do that too, or at least we sort of say we do. We get involved in issues, but we don't get involved in uh, uh, in uh, the actual individuals who are running for office. They advocate peace and do not participate in warfare. Again, it's unique, a little different than us. Uh, Mormonism tends to be much more pro-military, much more like, hey, it's your sacred duty uh, to go to war. And I, I remember being a bishop and on military holidays asking military members to stand and be acknowledged by the congregation. They are globally united in their faith and Bible-based beliefs. Oh, Mormonism does that too. It is a uh, worldwide church that when you go from one place to another, you're on the same lesson. Well, guess what? The Jehovah's Witnesses are the same. They are fully integrated with no social, ethnic, racial, or class divisions. We would claim that as well. Now, that wouldn't always been the case, but today the church would claim we are all alike unto God, right? They are not affiliated with any other religion, whether Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, doctrine. They believe that there is only one true God whose name is Jehovah. We believe there is only one true God and his name is Elohim. Uh, they do not believe that Jesus uh, Christ is Almighty God, nor do they believe in the Trinity doctrine. Guess what? Neither do Mormons. And we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not God himself. Again, you add unique theology, but it is the same mechanism. They follow the teachings of Jesus and honor him as the Son of God. They do not venerate the cross, nor do they use idols in their worship. They actually believe that Jesus was crucified on a single stake or post. They don't believe in the cross. Um, while we don't have the sort of stake theology, we have this whole thing that Jesus actually paid the price for sin in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he bled like it were blood, uh, where he uh, like sweat. Um, and we also. Um, do not use the cross. Elder Holland just gave a talk, I think, in General Conference where he talked about how we don't use the cross in our theology. These two teams are not that much different. 
They do not believe in a fiery hell where all bad people go after death. Guess what? Neither do we. They believe that God will bless the uh, obedient mankind with perfect everlasting life in an earthly paradise. Guess what? So do we. It's why we do work for the dead. Jehovah Witnesses believe that they have successfully reestablished first century Christianity, the form of Christianity that Jesus' apostles practiced. Somebody in the comments asked about, you know, I wonder if Bill will talk about the 144,000 teaching. And um, that that teaching works out really well on the front end until you you get so big that you it looks as though your righteous membership far exceeded that number. Uh, so you're 100% right there, Jay. But I just want to acknowledge, too, that Mormonism has this, too. They're the very elect. The, and then there's the very, very elect, right? The people who receive the second anointings. And those are the folks whose uh, who's, uh, blood uh, from their sin has been washed away by the, by the atonement of Jesus Christ so that they will be saved no matter what unless they uh, shed blood or deny the Holy Ghost, right? And so we also have these unique teachings that place a certain portion of membership above the rest of membership. Again, it's the same mechanism. A few more slides here. Uh, only the best 144,000 will go to heaven. Uh, only those who stay on the covenant path. Only those who keep the commandments and follow the prophets. It's the same sort of mechanism to create loyalty and obedience. Um, when Jesus went to heaven, he became who he had previously been, the archangel Michael. Mormonism sort, sort of works in reverse. Uh, Elohim sends Michael and Jehovah down to create the world. Jesus comes to earth and he, he's already half God and half man. He makes the atonement for all the worlds that are all across the universe. Again, strange theology in both, but it does the job of answering questions and creating a unique theology that a membership will believe in and be loyalty, loyal to seeing themselves as the one and only true and living church upon the earth with which the Lord is well pleased. While begun as a Bible study, the witnesses believe that only the organization can correctly interpret the Bible. Huh. The Bible belongs to the Christian congregation as an organization, not to individuals. Huh. Regardless of how sincerely they may believe they can interpret not to individuals, regardless of how sincerely they may believe they can interpret the Bible, right? The organization is responsible to tell you what things mean, and you can use the Holy Ghost to know, but only so much as the answer that you get coincides with the answer that you've been given by the leadership of the church. They teach that Christ returned in 1914. He is currently administering his still invisible kingdom from the Watchtower headquarters in Brooklyn. We believe that Christ uh, restored the gospel in 18, uh, 1820 uh, through the first vision and then through further pronouncements, and that Christ is currently administering his still invisible kingdom from church headquarters in Salt Lake City. They teach that to accept a blood transfusion would cause one to lose their salvation. We believe that if you drink a single cup of coffee or don't pay your tithing, that that would cause you to lose your salvation. They reject all holidays, regardless of type. Do not vote, hold political office, serve in the military. Do not serve. They reject, by the way, people serving in the military and saluting a national flag. 
Mormonism does not do that thing, but it does its own strange things that are unique from all other faiths on the world. In the first edition of the New World Translation, a note explains why a particularly Greek phrase, E-G-W-E-I-M-I, John 8.58, as I have been on the basis of the world being in the perfect indefinite tense. The problem is there is no such tense in any language. The phrase is universally translated as I am. In other words, they have their own translation issues. They have their own historical issues. They have their own false prophecies, but their believers believe intensely to the point where you can't set them straight. You can't open their eyes. Why are you as a believing Mormon any different? That's the last slide. Folks, if you have any questions, you can raise them. I'll stay on here for another minute or two. Uh, Also, if you want to ask anything about the last week's episode where I talked about uh, all of the issues um, in terms of plagiarism and Joseph Smith sources, I'm happy to do that as well. Um, But I simply would note, if you sit and you were a Jehovah's Witness, you would know that Mormonism isn't true. You would see its followers the same way we today in this presentation see their followers. Um, It's the same mechanisms at work. And uh, once you start to see other high demand fundamentalist religions and the patterns of theology, the patterns of behavior, the the mechanisms used to create loyalty and obedience, um, you begin to sense like, oh, they're really not that much different than us. It's just a different vernacular. And then you can start to see your faith with more clarity and maybe you get a softer space to begin to ask questions like, hey, what if my church isn't what it claims to be? What kind of problems are in my church's history that I don't know about? What kind of issues are there with my church's leaders and uh, and how do they treat other human beings in a way that isn't healthy that I've not been able to see up to this point and to acknowledge? And so, folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, Folks, if you like these kinds of presentations, please go on to mormondiscussions.org or mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Click the donate button. It means a lot to what we do. Um, But my hope is, again, my life's work, and I will do it until my, uh, my dying breath, is to help provide information through a bazillion different ways that perhaps somebody watching this or listening to another episode somewhere else will for the first time in their life go, I wonder what they haven't told me. And I wonder uh, if there's anything that would change the way I feel and believe about this religion that I haven't looked into yet. And so folks, I hope you enjoyed this. Have a great day. Uh, This was Mormon Discussion Podcast. And uh, uh, I hope that this was helpful to somebody out there. Thank you.